So I have a confession to make. What's up? I have more experience than I let on. Ooh. In middle school, I was entrusted with reading the morning announcements every morning for two straight years. That's my experience talking to a microphone. <laughs> Wait, I thought you were talking about the experience of like no rock history experience that nope. we kind of talked about. No, nope, just the talking experience. Oh. I once read the the little school like intro like a couple times. Like they would like pick a kid like once a month and I got it like two or three times. And I remember reading the lunches and I got excited that they were serving chicken fajitas and I literally said over the intercom, Ooh, chicken fajitas. <laughs> and let me tell you, fourth fourth grade Beth Ann did not let that live that down. Hey, chicken fajitas are something to get excited Straight about. Straight three months. Ooh, chicken fajitas. All the way through the hallway when I was walking by. You know what? Screw you guys. Chicken fajitas <laughs> is good. Anyway, this is Leah. And this is Beth Ann. And you're listening to She Will Rock You, a Da-da-da. rock history podcast. That's where our intro is probably going to go. Insert Josh's... Hold on. And you're listening to She Will Rock You, a rock history podcast. Insert guitar riff here. All right. Leah. Yes. Guess what? What? We're talking about the rocket man himself. Elton John. Heck yes. Or Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John. As I should say. He has been knighted. He has been. Yes, he has. That That's kind of the... My, the extent of my Elton John knowledge is that he was knighted. He was in that one Kingsman movie. And... I forgot about that. That's where I think he and Aaron... Or what's his face? Taron? Taron Egerton met. I oh. have this whole theory. We can talk about it later. Uh, and that, that he wrote the music for Lion King. So please enlighten me. Uh, you know what? <laughs> you're, you're on a good roll. We're forgetting 30 years, but you know what? We're good in there. Lion King's important. Lion, Lion King is the highlight. Anyway, so to kind of preface this first glorious episode, I think we should highlight that when we do someone like an Elton John, the dude's been just kicking it since 1970, or actually a little bit earlier, 1960s. And considering it's now 2019 at the moment of this recording, we're not going to be able to cover everything. Very, very true. So... Keep that in mind, but I hear there's a little indie film coming out. You may have heard of it. You may have heard of it called Rocket Man. I don't know. Maybe they'll fill in the gaps for us. And and again, I'm going to insert the disclaimer that we are not here to debate who is the greatest musician of all time. Yes. We're just here to talk about them. Please don't send us hate mail. We just like music. If you do send us hate mail, at least make it worth our while. I mean, at least put like sparkles on it. Get our attention. I will open that. Yeah, if it's sparkles... We'll open it. <laughs> Guaranteed. I don't care what it says. Anthrax. We'll open it. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If you get anything with mail that you just feel slime, it's like a Christmas present. I know. Send us mail, please. Thank yeah, you. But not anthrax. I, I prefer not to die. Anyway, so let's just kick it off with the early years of Sir Elton John, who was not born Sir Elton John. He was born Reginald Kenneth Dwight on March 25th. Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. Sorry, Elton, that's not funny. No, no, no. We're going to get to his name change because it's very interesting. Um, but he was born on March 25th, 1947. We're almost birthday buddies. Almost. There you go. And then, so through his childhood, he grew up in, I hope I'm saying this right, the Pinner area, Piner area of London. 
started playing piano at an early age, of course. Played famous musical pieces by ear at a young age. As we all did. Yeah, you know, won won a scholarship to the Royal Music Academy, you know, yada, yada, yada. Typical prodigy stuff. Okay. He's Um, really good at piano. He's really good at piano at a young age. But he was reportedly unhappy when he was a child. Weren't we all? (laughs) At some point. My emo (laughs) days tell me it was worse than I thought it was. Um, So his parents, particularly his dad, was super strict with him. His dad kind of rejected him. He was a military, I think, Air Force bro, Royal Air Force guy. Um, Wasn't really interested in him or his activities. Wasn't really there. Worked all the time. Um, So he's mostly raised by his mom and his grandma. However, there is a ray of sunshine to this part of the story. Um, His parents got a divorce. (laughs) Yay, divorce! Uh, His parents got a divorce at 14. His mom gets remarried. Okay. The new stepfather was a painter, super artistic, but he was incredibly supporting and caring of Ellen. Look at him being a father figure. Reginald Dwight. Yes. He was really the father. You never knew. I actually read on Wikipedia, so I hope this is right. But his name was Fred, and Ellen, you should call him Durf. (laughs) Why? Because it's Fred backwards. I, listen, that is I the really, best nickname I've ever heard in my entire life. I really appreciate that because he could have called him a lot of things, and he went with Durf. Durf. That, that's just that's just great. It's amazing. So here launches, in a way, the beginnings of Sir. Well, no, he's not a Sir at this point. Reginald Dwight's starting to get into music, and in 1962, at the age of 15, he forms a group called Bluesology. Blues algae? Blues ology. Oh, allergy. Yeah, sorry. Not algae. Ology. Like oh, zoology. Oh, okay, blues allergy. Blues ology. Not which algae. <laughs> doesn't seem fair because it actually does sound like a musical, like music theory thing. Yeah. Like you're just kind of going through and you're like, all right, open your textbooks of blues ology. Like it just yeah. doesn't seem fair no. to name your band that. But that's what he named it. Obviously, it didn't last. It, it, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't, but that's all right. You gotta start somewhere. And then at age 17, he left his A-level exams, which I'm assuming is like a senior year exam, um, to pursue music. Now, his father, who wasn't really in the picture, but I guess kind of is, according to Wikipedia, um, his father wasn't happy, obviously, that he left his A-level exams, and told Reginald Kennedy Dwight to go into banking. So when I think of... The idea of Elton John as a banker. I just th- see a bank teller, like, in the same bank location as Mary Poppins. Okay. That George Banks used to work at. Yes. So I see Ellen behind the counter. And then I just see his flamboyant, like, devil <laughs> outfit. <laughs> just walk up and he's got these glasses on. Yes. Can I take your money, sir? <laughs> that's that's just what I see. It's not cut out for banking. No, no, no. He's, he's not. It's not a banker. So he leaves to go pursue music and then enters shortly after Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin is his lyricist. They meet in 1967 when they both answer an advert or an ad posted by a record company looking for songwriters. Now, for those who don't know, Elton is a brilliant piano player, composer. To his own admission, he cannot write lyrics. Bernie could not write lyric. I'm sorry, could not write music, but he can damn write a lyric. 
So dream team, dream team, exactly. Um, I also so my dad always raved about Bernie Toppin when I was growing up. Um, I don't know if this is true. I was trying to find out if it's true, and I kind of saw it was true, but I wasn't. I couldn't get it exactly confirmed. But he always told me that Bernie and Elton would be miles away at a time, and that Bernie could write. Um, that Bernie would write the lyrics and then send them to Elton, and they would like perfectly match up every time, like with what Elton was writing. So if Elton's writing a tune over in London and Bernie's writing a, a lyric over in Manchester, I actually don't know if they live there, but that's just an example. Um, Bernie would send over the lyric and it perfectly matched with what Elton was writing at that current time. It's meant to be. It's like black magic. You don't quite know how that works, but that's what I heard. That's the rumor. It's Elton John magic. So I'm choosing to believe it. We're going to go with it. So both will go on to write songs for other artists for two years. Um, don't really know what the artists were. I read it on Wikipedia. I was too lazy to type it out, so I just moved on. Okay, probably not important. Well, they have some hyperlinks to their names. Go check out Wikipedia, y'all. You can go look for yourself. But here launches his career. First, I'm going to start with the name change, because I think this is just brilliant. I'm ready. So, Reginald Kennedy Dwight um, says he would have never been a success if his name was Reg Dwight. He actually said, give me a break. It's not going to work. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit of a... He's not wrong. Paraphrase. Good I for don't him. him. Good for him for pointing that out at a young age and realizing <laughs> Reg Dwight wasn't really going to go anywhere. Notice to all parents out there, do not name your child Reginald Dwight if you want them to succeed <laughs> at life. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be a banker. That's it's, it's a great banking Perfect. Name. Perfect. He's going to go far. He's going to rise to the ranks. But if you want to be a musical artist, Reg Dwight... May not cut it. Maybe today, because we're a little more inclusive. But back then, it nah, work. It's not a good name. So while he was in Bluesology, he hodgepodge together the names of his two bandmates. That's like <laughs> intellectual property theft. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but he's Elton John. Are you going to complain? No. no. The first bandmate. Okay. Long John Baldry. Darn it. No. (laughs) You're almost there. (laughs) Now I want seafood. Thank you for that. But not that seafood. Like a better seafood. Yeah, don't eat a Long John Silver's. (laughs) Not worth it. Yeah. And then Elton Dean. Pulled Elton John. Okay. So. It's a stretch, but I'll give it to him. Yeah, it works. It works. Um, So one day, the record company comes to Elton and Bernie and is like, hey, write yourself an album. Okay. So Elton comes out, and kind of Bernie too, um, Elton comes out with Empty Sky in 1969. Uh, But then they write another album called simply Elton John in 1970. Gotta love those self-titled albums. Yeah. Um, And his first hit single was Your Song, which is... Stand Down, one of my favorite songs of all time, rose to seventh on the UK charts and eighth on the US charts. He goes and plays his first US show at the famous The Troubadour. Troubadour? Troubadour. Troubadour. In LA. All the right people in the music industry happen to be there that night. You're in LA. Perfect time to do it. Uh, Which leads him to recording another album in 1970. So that's two albums in one year. And this is called The Tumbleweed Connection. 
inspired, it's a concept of an uh, album inspired by American country and Western ideologies. So the British guy made a country <laughs> Western album. I mean, I would assume I haven't listened to it. I should have listened to it, but I just like the idea of that. I mean, <laughs> props to him. So it goes to number two in the UK. Do they know what country music is? Well, it only goes to number five in the US, okay. which is really interesting to me because let's just be honest, you know how much Americans love stuff about themselves. This is true. So I'm really surprised it didn't rise to like number one, but hey, Tumbleweed Connection, number five in the US. And then he comes out with another album, Mad Man Across the Water in 1971. That's See, where, that title makes sense. Yeah, great one. <laughs> Um, that's where you get Levon and Tiny Dancer, also two excellent songs. Then he does another album. This one's a live album called 111770. You can guess when it's recorded. Um, okay. And that was released in 1971. But if you're counting at home, that is a total of five albums in two years. Wait, this was all two years? This is all two years. 1969 to 1971. Oh, Yeah. 1971. Yeah. That's two years. That's insane. Empty Sky, Elton John, Tumbleweed Connection, the live album, Mad Men Across the Water. So did they sleep? I don't know. Did they just have all this ready to go? I wonder if they've been working together for... I mean, I think I think when you just... When it works and you have such a connection like that in writing, you're just popping them out. You're like, all right, put it on a record. Let's go. Okay. I got to get torn. So to be fair, I guess records weren't as long as they are now. I mean, you were, you were limited in the amount of space you had, that's but true. still like, that's a lot of songs. But they were pushing out like, so like, I feel like today's albums, you're usually not going to go past like 11. Yeah. Some of these were like 14, but shorter songs. Okay. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. It's literally, yeah, I agree. Um, so he just keeps releasing albums and hits nonstop until we arrive to 1973 in his seventh studio album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Uh, this is the album that he's, I think, just really known for and what really pushed him uh, to be international star. It also gained him a glam rock status for a short time. I can see that. Uh, mainly because Betty and the Jets was on that album. Yep. Uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Uh, Saturday Night, So Right for Fighting, one of my favorites. Candle in the Wind, Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. You know, all those were just packed on that album. There is a great album. I, it's great. I have listened to this album. That was not the extent of my Elton John knowledge at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> to be clear. That's a, it, it's, it's a sensational album. So now moving on to a fun segment. Okay. Uh, just, we got to interject this before we really go on to any of the deeper stuff, because we're going to really start getting into his life. Let's talk about his favorite costumes. <laughs> yes, this is important. I've highlighted three. No, okay. I mean, there's just so many. Okay. But I, what's really important to know about Elton's costume choices is Elton's dad encouraged him to dress conservatively. Yes, his actual dad. Yeah, conservatively. Elton is quoted saying that his costumes are symbolic of letting go of his restrictive childhood. So it's 1980. We're in Central Park, New York City. And Ellen John steps up to the stage in a full Donald Duck <laughs> costume. <laughs> Webbed okay. feet and... That's weird even for the 80s. And little hat and all. That's weird even for the 80s. Hey. Props to him. I just imagine just 
Elton's stepping up to the stage in Central Park in a Donald Duck album, and in his head, he's like, screw you, dad. <laughs> Let me live my life. Let me live my life as a Donald Duck. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and then, so that's my, that's number one on my list. Okay. Favorite. Second favorite. In the little rock opera by The Who, known as Tommy, which was both an album and then a movie. Okay. I believe that's the order of it. Um, but in the movie, he sings Pinball Wizard. Okay. Which is a great song. Um, so, <laughs> I, you haven't seen Tommy? Have I have you? not. Okay. So, I'm going to paint the picture um, to kind of give I'm a... I'm going to assume these people have not either. Um, the premise of it was a kid, his father left, his mom got, I think, remarried, but his ghost father comes back, and from the experience... Yeah, this is all spoilers, <laughs> in case you didn't realize. Um, <laughs> from... It's... It's been out for like 40 years. If you haven't yeah. seen it, you've had your chance. Yeah, you, you had a chance. <laughs> um, but his ghost father comes back and all of a sudden, and I hope I'm remembering this right, so it may be a little out of order. Then all of a sudden he's deaf, dumb, and blind. Okay. From my experience. Like some lightning goes off and he's like all of a sudden can't see, can't hear, can't smell. Okay. Um, he can smell. Can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Important. <laughs> the one sense you didn't lose. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming he needed that sense because he probably used that sense to play pinball. And he becomes... <laughs> the pinball wizard. The pinball wizard. He becomes so good at it. And there's a lyric about being so good at it that I'm not going to mention because I don't want to get copyrighted claimed. Um, so he becomes a pinball wizard. Then he like works his way to becoming a guru. I would, I would rank wizard higher than guru in the list of pinball achievements, but hey, whatever. Pinball, spiritual... <laughs> Guidance leader. Yeah. Nah. Okay. Could be. You know. Who knows? So anyway, during that song Pinball Wizard where they're having a little like battle on stage and the main character is like playing pinball just, you know, straight and just racking up the points. Elton John is the competitor. Okay. That he's playing against. And Elton John is wearing these overalls and these giant ass stilts. Okay, I think I've seen those. <laughs> you may have seen it. They're, I think they're referenced a lot in other things. Yes, with giant shoes, so it doesn't look like stilts. So it looks like his natural feet. And he's playing a pinball machine slash piano hybrid. That's amazing. It's great. That needs to actually be a thing. And he's got a little beanie on top of his head with a little pinball at the top. Cute. It's a great outfit. Um, so then my third one is... I believe this was around the time of when Honky Cat was released on the, uh, what's the album called? Um, I can't think of it right now, but his sixth album before Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, he wears a full cat suit. Yes. <laughs> yes. The cat suit that kind of comes to mind to describe it is that peach cat costume that's in um that one like mario super mario game okay yeah yeah, yeah. where they have those all those cat that's what it kind of reminds me of but it's like we'll post some pictures of it you can look at it yeah we'll we'll, we'll definitely post some pictures of all these outfits um but bottom up high heels covered in fur it's just one big piece one (laughs) white furry onesie with these little black spots his black fur goes to like from his nose like around that top of his head um, to his forehead. And then he's wearing giant white glasses. Okay. It's great. It's a great costume. Actually, the picture I have is him just playing, standing up in a cat outfit. That's amazing. That's all you need to know. So those are my three. Okay. Those are there three are many, many, many more. 
So moving on to, you know, he's getting famous. He's just blowing up. He's on number one charts every time he releases an album, um, which brings into light when you're that famous a little about your personal life. And there are no secrets. There are no secrets when you're that famous. Um, and I do want to preface this one just a little, little bit here. Um, because I could see some people might be getting a little bit upset. They were kind of diverting from the music to talk a little bit about personal life. And you have to, I mean, it makes them who they are. Yeah. And you know what? I just want to offer a little bit of a different perspective on that. Um, get used to it. Cause we're just going to talk about everyone's personal life. So just get used to it. I mean, I wasn't going to say it like that, but that's one I way. Will. That's one way of saying it. Um, but you know, great, powerful music doesn't come up from the air. You know, you just don't make it up off the, off the spot. It always comes from a pool of who you are as a person, your passions, what gets you up in the morning. And so in reality, us talking about people like Elton's personal life, where we talk about any other's personal lives or things like that, it's really giving a better glimpse into understanding them as an individual, as a human, and as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, so even though Bernie wrote the lyrics, you know, the melodies Elton plucked out conveyed so much emotion. Mm -hmm. If you listen to Funeral for a Friend, you just hear that emotion coming through it. And it's just like listening to a classical piece like Claire de Lune. You just get swept up in the emotion that's mm -hmm. happening. So I just want to preface all that before I continue. And also just for the series, yeah. we are going to talk about personal lives. We're going to talk about probably drugs. We're going to talk about alcohol. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. It's called that for a reason. But Really, the reason I bring them up is because I want to understand that person better mm -hmm. as why their music was as poignant as it is. So Valid. just just throwing it out there. Let it be. So let's let's get rocking. So <laughs> it all started where his personal life kind of picks up off Wikipedia <laughs> is he meets a girl. He's really young. Um, it's 67. He's born 47. So he's 20. Yeah. And maybe 19. She becomes pregnant and he just proposes on the spot. Elton says in interviews, that's just what he thought you had to do. That's what you did back in 67. That's what you did. Hey, that's what happens. But something happened where I don't know if she really wasn't pregnant or she may have miscarried. Okay. Something happened, but that baby didn't end up matriculating. So three weeks before Elton ended the engagement. Okay. And it wasn't, I wouldn't say it's because she actually wasn't pregnant. I think it was, if I could guess, it was just, you're 20 and you don't know. Yeah. You, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to marry this random girl who's no longer pregnant. Yeah. Or maybe was not pregnant. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. drag her. Who knows the full situation, but that's, that's the straight facts of it. Um, then in the seventies, he reportedly fell in love for the first time with his manager, John Reed. Aww. Um, they were together for five years. This is the fact I've been waiting to tell you all day because okay. you're going to go nuts. John Reed managed not only Elton John, but managed Queen. Yes! And this is, this is a little bit just of a fun nerd fact. So in Bohemian Rhapsody, John Reed was played by Aidan Gillian, who plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Oh. And in Rocketman, it's played by Richard Madden, who plays Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. So it's a fun little like. That's fun. I am disappointed that they didn't use the same actor for consistency. Wouldn't that be great? But, but I think still okay. I think in fairness though, he managed Elton John way before he managed Queen. 
Okay. So there's a quite a big age difference. Okay. So he's first quiet about his sexuality. He's just a shy person in general in the beginning of the 60, uh, 70s. Mm-hmm. But when he finally came out, it was in Rolling Stone magazine in 1976 where he came out as bisexual. Okay. And he, I remember him saying, he's like, well, I thought it was just an open secret. Like everyone knew it. It turns out not everyone knew it. Uh-oh. You know, his plan was to dispel an open rumor, um, but that really didn't happen in that case. So if we think about this, we have a man coming out in 1976 where despite Woodstock, despite Summer of Love, it was still very unsafe mm-hmm. to come out. Still. No matter how famous you are. Yeah. And so it's very brave and commendable um, in my mind, because he really did pave a way for the LGBTQ community. and was really, I think, the first one in the forefront to bring it to normalcy. Mm-hmm. So even though in 1976 where he thought, oh, this is an open rumor, and other people weren't as accepting at that point, he still stuck to his guns. and Props to him. Yeah, You know what? That's, that's not easy to do. No. But we do come in 1984. He does get married to a re- recording engineer named Renate Blowell. I think is how you pronounce it. There was a little bit about, he talked a little bit about his marriage with her and I'm assuming it was a little bit more of a tumultuous time for him. And mainly because not with her necessarily, but with some of the drugs he was involved with and other stuff. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, But it was more about what was happening near, I guess the end of the marriage, I believe it was, or maybe Mm -hmm. it was like right at the beginning. I'm not sure of the length of this, but he had a, big battle with the sun newspaper or magazine that gossip magazine i think it's back in um, london or in uk so basically the sun put out a story that elton was paying underage male prostitutes and it's not a good story it's not a good story and ellen you know of course dispelled it said it wasn't true they still kept going at him all this stuff like I said, it's unsafe to come out at that time. Yeah, especially in Britain. Especially like, in Britain, yeah. U.S. is bad enough, but Britain was a it much... It was way worse. Much more dangerous environment. Yeah, and so they just keep hounding him and hounding him, and he said it was definitely one of the worst times of his life. I can imagine. Yeah, totally understandable. And luckily, he... Sorry, that's my dog. Uh, you'll probably hear that more. Luckily... He wins. He takes him to court, wins, beats him at the punch. However, it did cost him his marriage. I mean, if you think about it, it's really yeah. painful stuff to go yeah, through. Yeah, I can see that. And I don't know if that was the exact cause of his marriage, but I know it didn't help. Yeah. So his marriage ended in 1988. So four years. Four years. Like I said, I don't know the length of that mm-hmm. battle, but... Um, however, Ellen did say that... One of, the, one of the reasons, or maybe the reason for the divorce, is he realized he liked men more than women. That'd hey, be a good reason to get a divorce. Life's a journey. Sometimes you don't figure these out. How old is he at this point? It's 1988. He's born in 1947. So I would say right in his 30s. Okay. Yeah. Still figuring yourself out. Still, hey, you got, sometimes you figure these out by trial and error. That's yep. honestly <laughs> the fact of life. I hate to tell you, but. Yeah. Um, so now kind of moving a little bit more into Elton's um, more drug use that he experienced. Um, lots of cocaine. Lots of cocaine. So he's a superstar. He's pushing out albums like crazy. Yeah. 
and he's touring when he's not recording. I mean, the dude rose to fame in just five years. It's just nuts. So fast. He finds that finds one of his bandmates smoking weed, doing coke, and Alan's like, yo, let me try. And just addicted from that point. Not even once. Don't do coke. <laughs> but the reason why it was so appealing to him, especially coke, not so much weed, but like the reason why it's so appealing is because he's naturally shy. Mm. But with Coke, he said he could actually feel like he could talk to people. So from that point, everything just slowly spiraled from there. He, like I said, rose to fame in five years. His relationship with John Reed, which was also a five-year length, ended. Um, which all led to him... Right, this is a very serious part. Appreciate you not whining. Anyway, um, which all led to him um, doing an intentional Valium overdose in That's 1975. So sad. It's very sad. But he recovered. Good. Um, Obviously. Shortly after his recovery, he played uh, the famous Dodgers Stadium show in his little sequined Dodger outfit. But he did continue his drug use. Uh, which kept growing worse. Um, he also was bulimic for a lot of that time as well. So drug use and bulimia. Um, that's why he was just not really a good skinny. combination. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely not. But finally, in 1943, he finally decided to go check himself into rehab in Chicago. 43 or 83? When he was 43. Oh, sorry. No, not the <laughs> year. Like... He wasn't born then. Um, nor would they probably have a rehab to treat yeah, it at that point. No. Um, but he did check himself into a rehab. He actually chose this rehab because it treated all three of his addictions, which I believe, I know it definitely was drugs. It definitely was eating disorder. And I believe the third one was alcohol. But good for him. Good for him. Get getting, yourself getting, taken care of. Getting the help you need. Self-care. We need it. But after he gets sober, he goes through a career revitalization. So that... Check-in, I think, was around 1991. Okay. He comes back, takes a year off, and mm. he comes out with his album, The One, which hit the number one charts for the first time in 16 years for him. That's big to go to rehab as a rock artist and then mm -hmm. still come back and have your career not be dead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 1992, he started the Elton John AIDS Foundation. In which he announced at a press conference that every single released in the U.S., the proceeds would go towards AIDS research. Um, that charity, as of today, raised $400 million Jeez. for AIDS research. Good it's, for him. Yeah, it's great. And I know part of it, I mean, AIDS was just such a terrible, terrible disease. It still is. Mm -hmm. um, but thankfully, we have so much research. I believe, I just heard something that they're like, literally on the verge of yeah. curing AIDS and HIV, mm -hmm. like within the next year or so. Yeah. It's just going to be a dead disease. It's amazing. It's incredible. Thanks, Elton John. Thank you, Elton John. Um, one of the reasons behind his AIDS foundation was partly because of Freddie. Yeah, they were, they, I know they were friends. They were very, very good friends from, from what I've read. And so, you know, Freddie died in what, 91? Yes. So Ellen started in 92. Yes. So I could see that being the wind of momentum. I was going to ask if that was the, the catalyst. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but 
you know, Freddie's life, even though it's sad that it ended the way it did, really spurred on mm-hmm. that research that we have today. Because yeah. you had the Freddie Mercury Foundation, you had the Elton John Foundation, you had a bunch of other private foundations and charities. Mm-hmm. And they've really worked in the past 20 years to fight this thing. Yeah. And now, like I said earlier, we're at a point where it's going to it be finished. Could be gone. Could be gone. Cured. In a year or so. It's great. So... Elton and Bernie have collaborated up to 30 albums to date. Jeez, that's so many albums. It's great. 1994, he's inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 1995, or no, probably a little bit around 1994, him and Bernie write their quintessential masterpiece, Can You Feel the Love Tonight for The Lion King. And he wins an Academy Award. But then right around, I think it was right around the mid-1990s, he meets the love of his life and current husband, yeah. David Furnish, who's a director. And he actually, and I need to go watch this because I feel like I would just love it. He made a documentary called Tantrums and Tiaras. And it's that all about Elton John. Sounds amazing. It is great. I've watched like little pieces of it from the special because they showed it. And it's just Elton John just, just like, yelling. F this, F that, F this. And then like the next scene they cut to and it's Elton John holding a puppy and he's smiling. Oh. I feel like that also describes me very well. I mean, also. I just related to that on a spiritual level. That's, we, should, we should watch that after this. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then in 1998, he gets knighted for his, all of his good work he's done towards the age research by the queen. Oh, I didn't actually, I didn't know that was the reason he got knighted. Yeah, that was the reason. So Reginald Kennedy Dwight transforms to, to Sir, Sir Elton John. Elton John. Um, it's a Cinderella story. Goes on, writes music for Aida, writes oh, music yeah. for Billy Elliot. Okay. Um, also, I just have all the random facts. I don't know if he was in the movie or the Broadway production, but the person who's going to be playing Bernie Taupin in Rocket Man was in Billy Elliot. Oh, that's cool. I just think that's that sweet. is cool. That's just great. But finally, in 2018, Elton John, Sir Elton John, announced the farewell tour, which is a three-year tour. <laughs> Goodbye. Very I'm long gonna, farewell. I'm going to make this last three years. But a lot of people love him. He announces the farewell tour, the very last tour. And then in 2019, the movie Rocket Man comes out about his life. At the age of 73. He's 73? He's 73. And he I does think, not look I think Bernie is right around there. Wow. What yeah. a life. What a life. While we have random facts, I have two random facts. All right, I'm ready from. So the first is I'm currently reading a Guns N' Roses biography for a future episode. Nice. Just for fun type thing. And Axl Rose cites Elton John as his biggest inspiration. Really? He was, he was his uh, spoiler for the Guns N' Roses episode, his dad, his actual dad was not a good man. Uh, he did not support his music obsession as a child, huh. so he like would hide away a copy of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and lock himself oh. in the bathroom and listen to it. I wonder if that's where he gets his high voice from, because yeah. Benny and the Jets, he does that high falsetto yeah. piece. So he I mean, he was obsessed with Elton John as a kid. Elton oh. John, Elton John, and Led Zeppelin. Uh, oh, that there you go. Yeah, that's all <laughs> you, you just need. described. That is Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses, right there. Uh, and then second fun fact, uh-huh. because you know I gotta have a struts fact to throw of in course. something. 
Uh, so the, the Strut song, Prima Donna Like Me, is inspired by Elton John's The Bitch Is Back. Yes. And yes. About, uh, about a month ago, uh, Elton John has a radio show in the UK, and he played their song on air. Okay, first off, I'm a little upset, because why do we not have an Elton John radio show? Why is You that... can listen to it on Apple Radio. No, I, I want to turn on my radio in the car, and I, I want to hear Sir Elton the John. The UK only has like six radio stations anyway, so... I, that's fair. That's... <laughs> they're literally called Radio 1, 2, 3, 4, and, and 5. And their channels are, lo- you know, lacking too. I yeah. was just in London, and yeah. I had like 20 channels to choose from, and like five of them were dedicated to ghost stories. <laughs> Are you guys okay over there? I'm. Hey, it's an old city. Anything goes. Lots of ghosts. Yeah. But yeah, he he played their song that he inspired on his radio show, that's, and that just warms my heart. That's amazing. Good for you, Sir Elton John. You're such a great person. All right, that's it. That's it. Do you want me to sign it off? First episode. Well, first, just a word from our sponsors. Nobody. <laughs> That's actually a K-Mac 2012 joke. I'm not going to steal that. Don't That's a YouTuber. That. Um, but I am drinking a Guinness drought stout at the moment of this recording. That is that is the episode drink of choice. Yep. I don't know if this is going to become a bit for future episodes, but hey, let's see what it feels like. Take so, one. Guinness drought stout, St. James Gate, Dublin, Ireland, Savage in 1759. I'm waiting for their, where's their uh, catchy slogan? Does Guinness have a slogan? Rude in Dublin. Oh, that's not a good slogan. <laughs> so do you want me to sign off since you just Yes, okay. please do. So thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page Photography for our cover art. You can like the show on Facebook and follow it on Instagram at, at She Will Rock You Podcast. You can also follow our personal Instagrams at, at Beth Ann Tarpley. That's B E T H A N N E T A R P L E Y. And you can follow me at, at Leah Elizabeth J. That's L E A H E L I Z A B E T H, period J. Um, so I don't know how to sign this off. That's it. That's it, guys. Rocked it. Rock on. First episode. Round of applause. Done. All right, see you guys later.